let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. verse we just sang, praise to the Lord, O let all that is in me. Let's dwell on that for a minute. Everything I have, Lord, let all that is in me adore you this very moment. Can we even do that? Well, yes, we can through the help of your Holy Spirit as we worship today. And we pray that you would just uh, allow your spirit to lead us in our every thought, in our every prayer, in our every song. 
in, in, the, in our understanding of your word today, that we would truly uh, let all that is in us adore you today and worship you in spirit and in truth. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Be seated, please. And um, as is our custom, we fill out this um, connection card, so please uh, utilize these. They're very important in the life of our church. We get to know first and second time guests uh, who's here worshiping with us today, so if you're a first or second timer, we would love. I tell you what, today, since it's the last Sunday of the month, if you're a third or fourth timer, you can fill this out. Okay. But we'd love to know who you are if you're worshiping with us today. And uh, so please fill that out. And on the back of that card, there's room for prayer requests, uh, comments. Um, I'd like to know more about our relationship with Christ. What does baptism mean? We'll be happy to uh, c connect with you and, and get you that information, okay? Um, we made a huge announcement last Sunday night, and we're going to redo it this morning. Actually, the numbers are a little bit different because uh, some of you didn't get to hear this. Praise the Lord, over $200,000 given. And so that's a thank you and a praise to our God. Somebody in the, in the Wednesday night prayer meeting said it best. Thank you, Lord, for blessing us with the ability to give. Because without his blessing, we didn't even have this ability. Amen? So speaking of that, we're going to be singing songs about giving, songs about serving, songs about being faithful to the Lord. And uh, this one will... I pray will uh, uh, mean something to you as it relates to your giving and serving and, uh, and, and being the, the, the God-called Christian you're supposed to be. Let it be said of us that the Lord is first in our life. Let it be said of us that the
My Savior Leads Me, and the choir and orchestra are going to sing that. If you know it, please sing along with us. This was written by somebody who could certainly be said of them uh, that they were found faithful. The hymn writer Fanny Crosby and uh, wrote over 8,000 hymns and gospel songs. Six weeks old, she caught a cold and developed inflammation of the eyes, which led to blindness. At age eight, she wrote her first poem. And then later on in life, she said, uh, that poem based on her condition, her blindness. Later on in life, she said, It seemed intended by the blessed providence of God that I should be blind all my life. And I thank Him for that dispensation. If perfect earthly sight were offered me tomorrow, I would not accept it. I might not have sung hymns to the praise of God if I had been distracted by the beauty of and interesting things about me. She went on to say, When I get to heaven, the first face I shall ever gladden my sight will be that of my Savior.
the Isaac Watts hymn, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, has long since been, years and years ago, my favorite hymn. Charles Wesley, who wrote tons and tons of hymns, said, If I could give up every hymn I've ever written, to have written, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, I would give them all up. That's how much he appreciated this particular hymn. The fourth verse is probably the most popular. Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small. And then he says, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. So with that being said, listen to Paul's words. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. But whatever gain I had... I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything a loss as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. Paul was a servant of the gospel, wasn't he? And the reason we start with thinking about demands my life, my soul, my all, and to read Paul's autobiography. Why do we do that? So that we can think about the text that we're in. Because certainly you see from this, Paul being a prisoner on behalf, a prisoner of Christ on behalf of the Gentiles, we just see coming forth from him this servant mentality. He was not only a servant of the gospel, he was a servant of people. And I want to remind you this morning as we delve into this text that there's only one way to be a servant. You must view your whole life as being subservient to something greater than yourself. Yeah, I said that to Americans, right? To the congregation gathered today, the only way to be a servant of Christ is to see your life, whole life, as being subservient to something greater than yourself. Just keeping your... uh, mind upon Ephesians chapter 3. Listen to one more verse before we get into it. And this is actually Paul speaking to the elders of Ephesus, right? Same people he's writing the book of Ephesians to. Listen to chapter 20 verse 24 in the book of Acts. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So here was Paul's attitude. It doesn't matter what happens to me. I just want to make sure I finish the course that Jesus Christ has set before me because I am a servant of Christ. It's been given to me. And this is part and parcel of what we're seeing here in Ephesians chapter 3. So if there's anything that is totally countercultural to our narcissistic age... It is this concept of being a servant of Jesus Christ. Why? Because we have a hard time considering anything greater than ourselves. So, we will never truly be servants until we realize that all of life is to be subservient to something greater than ourselves. Now, I have something else to tell you before we get into the sermon. And that's this. Preaching is the proclamation, explanation... And application of the word of God. 
That's what preaching is. Y'all, you, you do have a Bible, right? Right. Preaching is the proclamation, explanation, application of the Bible, the Word of God. So I say that to you to tell you that sometimes we get to major more on the application as a pastor because the text lends itself to that. And certainly application needs to be made. But sometimes a text demands more explanation. Which also means that you as the people of God need to give me more attention today. I know you had a long weekend. The hogs played. The dogs played. Everybody. I, some of you. And, and we rarely take time to say, you know what, let's prepare for Sunday morning worship. I get all that. But you need to grasp what the writer is communicating. So the harder the text, the greater the need for explanation. When more explanation is needed, more concentration is needed from the people of First Baptist Ozark. Okay? Why do I tell you that? Because when you get to verses, three and, uh, verses 5 and 6, we deal with two gigantic issues that people spend a lot of time on, written a lot of ink on this particular issue. What is the relationship of the Old Testament with the New Testament? Uh, I am so thankful that our church is studying the Bible in Sunday school. Brianna popped in my office this morning and said, what, what do you make of this, basically, of the earth standing still at God's command? I said, yeah, when you study the Bible, you hear things you've never heard before, right? So it's good to study the Bible. And it, not only do you have this deal with the Old Testament and New, but also what is the relationship of Israel with the church, okay? So those two big, massive things, we're going to take a look at that. I just whet your appetite to tell you that. Eventually, we're going to get to it in the sermon. So what did we learn last week? This stewardship, this ministry, this servanthood is all a gift from God by His grace. So grace is what actually gives you this stewardship to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. So Paul says, I was a recipient of grace, but it's not a means to an end. It actually has a means... And it didn't end with me, but I'm called by God to be a channel of grace to others. Are y'all listening? Let the amen sound forth from his people again. Did we not sing that? And I'm like, Lord, would you please answer that prayer at FBCO? Right. <laughs> please let the amen sound forth. Listen, folks, your salvation was not an end in itself. It's a means to a greater end. God intends to use you to see others saved. Right? And we, we, we have our focus so much on self in this isolation society that we don't see that Christ saved you in order to use you in the lives of others. So God's eternal purpose, it ends up be, becoming a means to another end, that being the salvation of others. Uh, so we're just a steward of that, aren't we? Uh, why do we have this attitude to stay where you are? It, it helps me have more time to preach if you're not turning. Listen to 2 Corinthians 4. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Because we have this treasure, the stewardship of the gospel of grace put into earthen vessels. Why? Earthen vessels were cheap, cheap clay pots. You could buy them down at the market for two cents. They were cheap because they were dispensable. Folks, I want to remind you that you're a clay pot. And God takes this magnificent and glorious treasure of the gospel. 
And he gives to us a stewardship to do great things through us. And why does he choose clay pots to put it in? He does this so that the surpassing value of the gospel may shine forth through us and that the clay pot will not get the glory, but God will. So that the surpassing glory, see it there, may be given to God for it, okay? So, with all that being said, Paul was an administrator of a divine plan. He was a recipient of the grace of God and he was called by God to in a way, reciprocate, right? That grace to others so that God would receive the glory. Sometimes we say things like, preacher, avoid burnout. Paul would say, I hope to go down in flames for Christ. You never find a place where Paul's worried about burnout. I get it, I get it, I get it, I know. I get, I, trust me, we all get tired. But our attitude must be, God, spend me. Let me be spent and spend myself for the glory of Christ and the gospel. That should be our attitude. So today, not only do we deal with the mystery of Christ as given to us as the stewardship of God's grace. Here's the second thing. The mystery of Christ is received by revelation and the Spirit. Okay, you're with me? Here it is. Ephesians 3. You knew we'd get there. Verse 3. Here it is. Look at the word. How this mystery was made known to me. How, folks? By revelation, as I have written briefly, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets. How? By the Spirit. Do you see the point? The mystery of Christ is received how? By revelation and the Spirit. Now verse 6. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And again, Paul reminds himself that it's of Christ and grace, not himself. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. What an awesome text. So, the overarching divisional point Beginning in verse 3 is that the mystery of Christ is received by revelation in the Spirit. Now, the idea of a mystery is a truth which is beyond the human ability to discover, but God actually has to reveal it in order for you to understand. When we think of mystery, we think of something that is hidden and concealed and it's beyond our finding out. And there is a sense in which that is true, an element of that, But folks, when you come to a biblical mystery, the emphasis does not fall upon that which was hidden, but actually what has been revealed. Okay? You have to think through those parameters. So this mystery has been unfolded to us, it has been revealed to us, and it has been explained to us. So this mystery of Christ is this massive grand term that explains and conveys God's eternal plan. This all-encompassing purpose in who? Say it. Jesus Christ. That's really what the grand scope is. This eternal plan in Christ Jesus. Now, this means that the mystery of Christ has to do with the revelation, first, of his person and work. That's important, isn't it? If it's all about Jesus, you need to find out who he is and what he actually did. It has to do with the salvation that God has brought even to people like me and you. Even to Gentiles. Remember Paul? 
Salvation is for the Jews, but not the Jews only, but also for the Gentiles. And, okay, you got two things, the person and work of Christ, the salvation that God has brought even to the Gentiles, and then this, let's call it this, this double reconciliation between you and God, God gave you peace through Christ, and the peace and reconciliation that we have with one another. That's, that's what you're looking at when you think about this mystery of Christ. Now, can I give you a few theological terms that you'll promise not to forget? Are you ready? There are three things that, that, that this says to us. Regarding the person and work of Christ, that means that this mystery is Christological. Christology means the study of Christ. So when we deal with the person and work of Christ, we're saying this whole mystery is a Christological issue. It's Christ-centered. Okay? Not only is it Christ-centered, but it's also about salvation. The Greek word for save so, uh, is soterios, sozo. So it's called soteriology, study of salvation. So this whole mystery, right, is about Christ, salvation, but not, that's not all. How about this reconciliation between God and us? You know what that's called? The church. The big theological term is called ecclesiology. So you've learned three, three words today that if you take them over to McDonald's, they may give you a cup of coffee with 25 cents, right? I don't think they'll understand what that means, but it's Christological, it's soteriological, and it's ecclesiological. Folks, please understand. Let's just cut it to layman's terms. It's all about Jesus, salvation, and the church, right? That's what this is about. And this is building toward chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above anything you could ever ask or think. According to the power that works in us. Unto him be glory in the, not on the greens at the golf course. Let him be glory in the church throughout all ages, world Without end. So the revelation of God comes from God to the apostle. I, I don't have time to read it, but do you remember how Paul got it? Paul said, Nobody came to me and gave me this gospel. Jesus manifested himself in all of his glory on the road to Damascus, knocked Paul off his horse, and taught him the gospel. God, the Lord Jesus, when, he, when God saw fit to reveal his son to Paul, that's when God did it. And Paul received this gospel. And so, here, here, here it is. Okay, y'all with me? Think. Revelation comes to Paul. Do you notice these words? When you read this, you can perceive my insight. Revelation directly from Jesus. Look at me. Boys, girls, everybody. Revelation came directly from Christ to Paul. Paul takes revealed truth by the inspiration of the Spirit of God, and he writes it down. So how do you come to know the revelation of God? You read the Word. That's the only way you can get it. God does not give this revelation of this mystery apart from the Word of God. So look, folks, this, this is why it's so important for you to concentrate this morning. Y'all listening? Right? It's revelation. It is inspiration to write it out. And then praise God, the way you learn it is called illumination. God has to turn the light on of understanding. 
And he's given us his revelation. And Paul says, check it out in the word, right? All scripture is given by inspiration and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, and correction in righteousness. That the man of God may be fully equipped for every good work. So, that's, that's what's going on in this text. Revelation, inspiration, and illumination. Now, two subpoints. Number one... Stewards of the mystery of Christ must understand the message of the gospel. Boy, howdy. I wish every pastor in Ozark and around the world understood the message of the gospel clearly. And it's given to us, not out of Reader's Digest, not out of church growth tactics. It's given to us in the Bible. Okay? This is how the gospel is given. So, this mystery was concealed and now has been revealed. And what is this actual mystery? Well, let's just cut to the chase. It's the gospel. It's the person and work of Christ. It's salvation. It's the work of the church. And Paul couches it in terminology of redemptive history. There are interpreters, okay, that teach that the gospel of grace and the church were never revealed in the Old Testament. There are those who point to a passage like this and say, see there? This mystery was hidden, and this mystery about the church is mystery about grace. They would say that the New Testament is added truth that was not revealed in the Old. What do y'all think about that? They would believe that the first prediction relative to the church and our age was recorded in Matthew's gospel by Christ. In other words, I will build my church. Okay? This school of thought would believe that the church age existed in the mind of God but was not revealed at all in the Old Testament. Charles Ryrie once said, the church was completely unrevealed in the Old, but now is revealed in the New. So, this is dealing with that huge theological issue that I said before, the relationship of the Old and the New and the church and Israel. So, what does Paul mean when he says, in other generations, y'all see that? which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to the holy prophets, to the holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. What does he mean? Can I tell you a few things it cannot mean? First, Paul cannot mean by this statement that it was the gospel that was hidden in ages past. Well, why, why would I say something like that? Well, just listen. Romans 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh. What scriptures was Paul speaking of? You didn't have the, Old Test- the New Testament when Paul wrote this. When Paul, by oral tradition, began to write this, we didn't have the New Testament. Y'all listening? He could only be referring to what? The Old Testament. And what does he say? The gospel was given by the law and the prophets in the Old Testament. But now I'm actually revealing to you clearly what the gospel is. So the gospel that Paul preached was not something new. What I am preaching to you in terms of the gospel is way back in the law and prophets. In other words, there was a marvelous continuity between the gospel that Paul preached and the grace of God that was taught in the Old Testament. Here's something else Paul cannot mean. He cannot mean the salvation of the Gentiles. In the same book, Romans chapter 15, verse 8. Listen to how clear this is, folks. Beginning chapter 15, verse 8. 
Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared. No, I'm in the wrong book. Romans. I told you to stay there and I, I went too far. Romans chapter 15, verse 8. I knew it looked strange. Listen close. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. You understand that this promise that Gentiles will be saved was way back in the Old Testament. And he's going to explain it. Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. So it cannot mean the gospel. It, he, he could not have been referring to the Gentiles. Folks, do you realize that in Isaiah 19 it tells us that Egyptians and Assyrians will come together to worship the true and living God. Okay, when you get to Isaiah 46, uh, Isaiah 56 says foreigners and eunuchs would come right in to observe the Sabbath and be among the true people of God. Here's the third thing. Could it be referring to, to the person and work of Christ? Was anything ever said about Jesus in the Old Testament? Folks, let me remind you that the aroma of Christ is all over the Old Testament, right? Do you understand that the two natures of Christ being fully God... And fully man was fully revealed and taught in Isaiah 9, verse 6. Y'all know anything about Christmas? For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. Y'all understand that child born, humanity, son given, deity. Clearly taught in Isaiah. When you get to Isaiah 53, it reminds us that the suffering, suffering servant of the Lord will come and he will bear the sins of his people. And in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, here's the gospel. I declare unto you the gospel that Christ Jesus, say it, died for our sins according to the, which scriptures? Old Testament. He, he has the audacity to tell you that the Old Testament taught you that Christ would be buried for our sins. Buried for our sins. Right? I give you a first importance that Christ Jesus died for our sins, was buried, right, and rose again. And he's having the audacity to tell you that all those things were prophesied in the Old Testament. And when you get to Acts chapter 3, at the fulfillment of Pentecost, remember what he says? This is that day. And what day was that? The one that was prophesied in Joel chapter 2, right? Okay, I give you that to help you see. So what does Paul mean? What in other generations was not made known to the sons of men? And then he now switches to the present time of what has now been revealed to who? Apostles and prophets. I'm, I'm so thankful. You, a lot of you guys are looking at the word. And you're saying, okay, Lord, what is this? Well, there is a manifestation of this mystery. Is everybody listening? Nobody sleeping? God's word is progressive revelation. Are y'all listening? From Genesis to Revelation, there is this progress of divine revelation. So as God's revelation progresses, it builds upon itself. All of these truths that Paul speaks about were indeed in the Old Testament as types and shadows. What you have is this progress of revelation. And the New Testament is that final stage of the revelation. And it brings to light 
with clarification what the Old Testament had in it. So it unfolds it. It it is revealed. And as you look back, you say, oh, wow. That makes way more sense now because of how God has enlightened us and explained it for us and expanded it. So once you have the full clarity, you look back and say, now I see it. Okay, let me give you another text that makes it very clear. And we're back in Romans. If you didn't read any of them in Romans, read this one. Y'all listening? Chapter 16, verse 25. I told you before we started, you had to think. Okay? Verse 25. Please look at this. Progressive revelation. Now to him who is able to strengthen you, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forever and ever through Jesus Christ. Amen. Do y'all see it? Clearly in the text we are dealing with progressive Revelation. Paul is saying that the scriptures of the prophets, the Old Testament, actually contain the revelation of the mystery. It was kept secret, but now it has been manifested to the old by the coming of the new. One old scholar once said, the new is in the old concealed, and the old is in the new revealed. So many of you already know that. So I do not see a parenthesis in the plan of God. I don't see this bracketed off parenthesis of the church age in the Word of God. I see progressive, and that means I'm not a dispensationalist. I'm sorry to hurt your feelings, but I'm not. Why? I see progressive revelation. I see no new truth, just expansion upon the truth that's been there forever. Right? That's what we're dealing with here. So, Paul preached the gospel from the Old Testament. Paul preached Jesus from the Old Testament. The new had come and the old is being explained. Here's clearly what Paul means in verse 6. Y'all see it? This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. All right, let's, this is the mystery, right? All right, let's take these for a moment. The fellow heirs in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Was there anything ever said in the Old Testament about Gentiles being co-inheritors of Christ through the gospel? Anything? What do you think about when you hear the terminology of heir? I'm an heir of so-and-so. Well, what was the, new, what was the Old Testament understanding of that? Folks, there's a big strip of, it in the middle, strip of it in the Middle East and everybody's fighting over it. Hello? Land! It it would be an inheritance of land. And so we know that Ezekiel actually prophesied this. The Gentiles will get an allotment of land. Here is the mystery revealed. Y'all listening? It was not mere real estate. Y'all listening? The mystery that is revealed is that the Gentiles will be inheritors. In the, in the Old Testament, it talked about land. But what was the mystery? It would be an allotment of something greater than a piece of property. It is salvation in the fullest sense. This, is, this includes being heirs of the world to come. What was the very promise to Abraham? It included land. 
And, and the fact of the matter is, it's now ours, and it is completely ours, but it's more than just physical real estate. Eternal salvation through Christ Jesus our Lord is our inheritance. And some of you may say, well, preacher, I want the land. I want my mule and 40 acres. Well, my friend, you're just going to have to wait because you'll get it in the new heaven and the new earth. All right. Let amen sound from his children again. Right? You'll get it, my friend, along with Abraham. You will inherit a new heaven and a new earth. Righteousness will dwell forever. Therein will be our inheritance. Y'all see, the mystery is that we have our mind on the land when it comes to Gentiles getting an inheritance. But when it all, it's all said and done, it's Jesus Christ and all that you are with an heir of Christ Jesus before the Father. Okay? Second, fellow members of the same body. The best way to, con to, to translate that would be con corporate. Okay? Got those fellow members of the same body. We come into this body with and together with. So this too is a mystery that is now revealed. In the Old Testament, it foretold that Gentiles would actually come into the temple. Where's that found? Y'all listening? Isaiah 56. What we find here is that now it's not Solomon's temple. It's not the temple made the second time around that had lost its luster and its glory. And it's not going to be some kind of rebuilt temple in the future. Actually, this did not ultimately point to a building made out of stone. He is pointing to the ultimate dwelling place of God who is Christ Jesus the Lord. And when he lives in you, he doesn't live in temples made by hands. He lives in the human life. So all of this ultimate dwelling place... Fellow, listen to it, fellow members of the same body was not being, is not talking about a temple made with physical stones. That's what it said in the old. But the mystery that is revealed is that it is pointing to us and the ultimate dwelling place of Christ in us. Something is expanded here, and that's Gentiles enter and come through Jesus Christ. And he takes these living stones. Y'all remember chapter 2? Don't make me preach it again. 11 through 22. He is building us together. And note the last verse. Built together into a dwelling place for God by His Spirit. That's what Almighty God is doing. If we are in Him, we are the temple of the living God. Young people, look at me. Don't defile that temple. Does it not say that? Why? Because you've been bought by the Holy Spirit of God. Bought by the blood of Christ and dwelt by the Spirit of God. Therefore glorify your bodies unto the Lord, which is the temple of the Lord. Y'all getting this? He dwells in us. Who needs a tabernacle today? Not me. Who needs Levitical priests to go in and make a sacrifice? Not me. Why? Because the Son of God made a sacrifice once for all time, never to be repeated again. Amen? Right, so think about this the way the Bible gives it to us. I don't need a high priest. I don't have to go to a Catholic church. I don't have to go to confession. I've got one high priest, and his name is Jesus. And he paid for my sins and purged me from them and sat down at the right hand of the Father. He's done, right? Never to be repeated. One last phrase, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now, folks, was it ever revealed that Gentiles would come into the family. 
Well, it was, but how did they think? How did a Jew want them to come in? Bring out the knife. Let's do a little circumcision. You, you actually had to be circumcised in the flesh, which could never save anyone. And then you, in their mind, you had to become a Jew. Are y'all getting this? Folks, do you understand the reality is that we come by grace through faith. We're saved by Jesus Christ. You need a circumcision of the heart, right? And so they would always still be, in the eyes of Jews, proselytes. You know, they'd be like stepchildren. But the mystery revealed is that the covenants of promise become the full possession of us, Gentiles. Now, it's not, of, uh, it's not circumcision of the flesh or not getting circumcised of the flesh. It is Christ who saves. So God tells Abraham, in your seed all the families of the earth will be blessed. Y'all remember that? And we're going way back to Genesis chapter 12. Part of that revelation of the mystery of Christ is that now Gentiles share as full members in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Folks, do y'all understand that y'all are benefactors of the covenant made with Abraham? The covenant at Sinai? The covenant in Palestine of the land? And the covenant given to David? You know why? Because you are full-fledged members of the covenant of grace. Y'all know the old song, Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham sing it. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's, and then we do right hand, left hand, all that kind of stuff, right? Folks, do you understand? That's what it means for you to be in Christ Jesus. Full-fledged members. Now, listen. There's marvelous continuity between the old and the new. Y'all got that much? But I want to remind you there is some discontinuity. Why? Because, uh, look, understand, you don't have two books glued together. You need to see the Bible as one whole. Are y'all listening? And people who say, well, the Old Testament's this, the Old Testament, there's a good Hebrew word for that. It's called baloney. Okay? And your people out there who try to disconnect the old and the new. They're just dummies. Alright? I'm just telling you like it is. You have one Bible. And not to read the old is to do away with three quarters of the word of God. Alright? So there's marvelous continuity. But there's also some discontinuity. Why? Because all that was foreshadowed about Christ. The gospel and salvation to the Gentiles. And incorporation of God's people into Israel. That's already happened. Okay? Those types and shadows have given way to a reality. And those things have become obsolete. Right? We're worshiping on the first day of the week. Not on Saturday. Why is that? Because Jesus came forth from the grave on Sunday. Hello? There's a reason. I don't see anybody bringing a lamb into this church today to sacrifice. Are y'all getting this? There's some discontinuity. Why? Because the lamb has already been provided. See, there's reality there. So, I'm not dressed in a robe. I like to wear a suit, right? I respect my tradition, right? But I don't have a robe on, right? Israel itself is no longer physical and ethnic. Folks, you get into the nation of Israel, you get into it spiritually. Y'all getting this? True Israel are those who know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. It is eternal salvation in a new heaven and new earth. The temple is no longer a building built with hands. It is the person and work of Jesus Christ the Lord. The, the covenant is no longer a national covenant. It is a spiritual covenant. 
covenant. We are full-blown heirs of the promise. The book of Hebrews uses one word to show continuity and discontinuity of the old and the new. And if you don't get it right, I'm going to stand here till you do. One word. Somebody tell me what it is. One word in Hebrews that perfectly sums up what we've been preaching. Come on, folks. We say the word well and we say the word well and uh, good and no. English. Better! <laughs> Come on, folks. Listen, folks. Yes, that's the big word in the book of Hebrews. There's profound continuity, but the discontinuity or continuity comes with better. And what we have in Christ Jesus, and we look back, it is so much better. Folks, now here's the application. All that explanation, here it is. Folks, there's a lot done out there in this world in the name of the gospel. There's a lot done out there in the name of Christ and Christianity that is not the gospel. I want to remind you that Paul says, if you come and preach another gospel other than the one I preached, to hell with you. That's the word. It's anathematized. If you come and preach anything different than the gospel that I'm giving to you, you shall be accursed. That's how important the message is, folks. Don't carry the gospel around like it's unimportant. And we're just going through our days and we're just surviving in America. No, folks, you've got a mission from Almighty God. And you need to understand what the gospel is. So please study creation, fall, redemption, and new creation. Think deeply about the atoning work of Christ on your behalf. If you think deeply about Jesus dying for your sins, then you'll be motivated to tell someone else. Hallelujah. All right, finally. Stewards of the mystery of Christ need God's grace to empower us. Verse 7, and we're done. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. Look, folks, if God doesn't move in this church, it will not happen. Folks, we can't forget this. We got the message. But you are missing it. If you think you can ever get anything accomplished that is not coupled with God's grace and his empowerment. Not only is he the one that saves, he's the one that does the work. It is his grace and it is his power. Barth notes this in one verse. Paul uses different words to show praise to God and prepare us for verse 8 when he's kind of self-deprecating. We'll see it next week. But here are these words. Think about this. God's power is at work. It is the power of grace. It is a gift. It is given. Paul is a servant. He was made a servant. Folks, there's only one Lord of the church. And the rest of us are all servants. You might think you're the Lord of FBCO, but you're not. Right? There's only one. We only have one master. Don't be charmed by a personality. Be charmed by the master. Right? That's the deal. Paul was quick to deflect attention away from himself. And he put it in the proper place. The God of all grace. And Paul had this incredible place of redemptive history. But he doesn't get puffed up. It causes us to boast in Jesus Christ alone. Phew. All right, now, we must depend upon his power alone to take these ordinary clay pots that are weak and fragile and use them for the glory of God to make his name known in this world. Let the... Amen...
sound forth. Right? That's what we need. Okay, verse 2 of when I surveyed the wondrous cross. Kind of works backwards. Paul gets the revelation, and that's why he's willing to, to say, I count it all as rubbish that I might gain Christ, and this is it. But listen to verse 2. Forbid it, Lord, that I should post, save in the death of Christ my God. You know this. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to His blood. That's why I like that hymn, right? Why do we serve Him? Well, folks, listen. Here should be our prayer. Father, help us cherish the message of the gospel of Christ. And please empower us with your grace to serve you for the glory of God. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. I got to commend you. You did good. All right? Let's pray. God, you're so good to us. Thank you for your word. Lord, I hope and pray that we go out of here with clarity to know that when we hold up our Bibles, it's one book. It's your word. It's the story of the life, death, burial, and the resurrection of Christ Jesus the Lord. Father, if there's someone under the sound of my voice that's lost, when they hear the gospel, it is the aroma of death. God, would you shift that and let it become an aroma of life? Lord, would it please you to save a soul this morning? If so, would you awaken a dead sinner? Help them understand that they must believe the gospel of Jesus Christ in order to be saved. Help us, Lord. Father, for Christians... Help us to know the message of the gospel. And by all means, would you empower us by your grace to take your message to the ends of the earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and sing. Are you hurting and broken within? Overwhelmed by pray, the way Pray for the person on your left and right. The gospel is about Jesus more than you, right? Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling. Come. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness is bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Leave behind your regrets and mistakes. Come today, there's no reason to wait. Jesus is calling. Bring your sorrows and trade them for joy. From the ashes a new life is born. Jesus is calling. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness is bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ.
you do know where the altar is, right? There is no sacred space today other than where the Holy Spirit of God is, and that's everywhere. So you make that altar wherever you are. And the altar, of course, when we think about that, is bowing before Christ, submitting ourselves to Him, putting our trust in Him. Amen? All right. It's been good to be in the house of the Lord. Just a couple of things to remind you of. One is next Saturday, there will be a work day. Okay? If you would like to be a part yeah, of John, it. There you go. What now? I, I just Okay, you can sign up on uh, our website so we know you're coming. Or Jared Fox has said you can give him a call. I know that's dangerous in the life of this church, right? But you can give Jared a call and he will help you as well. But uh, that'll be a really good day. We thought at first that we might be able to move into our offices next Saturday, but that's probably going to be pushed back to the next weekend. Okay? And so there's a lot that we'll be working on here, so you can be a part of that. Second to that is the Tri-County. Um, next slide. What do we call it? Go. Yes. Annual meeting is at First Baptist Kimberling City. Brian Jump, uh, excellent pastor, preacher of the word down at Clever First Baptist, doing a great work down there. He'll be sharing the sermon. I promise you he'll preach the word. And that's tonight. If you're coming for the worship only, it's at 6. If you love business meetings, you come at 4. Right, Elsie? She's smiling up there. She won't be there. No, I'm kidding. And then uh, dinner. So if you can go tonight, you support Brother Philip Shuford, our, the, a member of our church and the director of missions and our association. Okay? As I'm we done. Close, let's sing this together. Let the cross be our glory. Let the cross be our glory and the Lord be our song by mercy made holy by the Spirit Amen.